Welcome to With Heart and Wonder. This is a place for us to explore heart-centered living and to celebrate what it means to live with wonder, with awe and appreciation for the possibilities that are within us and around us. I'm Megan Johnston, and I am truly so honored and excited that you are here. Let's dive in and journey together. Welcome to episode 40. If we haven't met before in this podcast space or if it's been a while, my name is Megan. And as always, I am just so excited to have this opportunity to share together in conversations about what it means to live with heart and wonder, to live a life that is filled with mindful presence and and heart-centered curiosity. And today I'm really excited to introduce you to my friend Clary Chambers. We've actually known each other for, gosh, like eight years now. We um, met each other while we were both at Carleton University, and it's been really incredible to watch her start her business, Spark Clarity, um, and follow along on her journey over these last few years. As the founder and CEO of Spark Clarity, Clary creates spaces for chronically ill and disabled folks to see and find community and works with businesses as a consultant to make their physical, digital, and cultural spaces more inclusive for everyone. Every day, Clary works to make the invisible visible and to amplify conversations around chronic illness, disability, and inclusion. She is such a ray of light and such an incredible advocate for inclusion in in this world um, and for equity, and I'm just so excited to, to dive into conversation and to share it with you all. Clary, welcome to With Heart and Wonder. I am so honored and excited to have you here today and it's super cool because we were we were just chatting actually before we hit the record button and I mean I think we were figuring we we probably have known each other now for like nine years which is kind of cool and um and met at Carleton University um I was a TA for a human rights class where you were a student and it's been really cool like it's it's actually been so beautiful over the years to kind of see the ways in which our our journeys and paths have like interwoven in different yeah. spaces mm-hmm. and to see you grow and to see um see our both of us like step into our paths has been so beautiful and um I am just so excited to have you here. You were one of the first people I reached out to about the podcast, and I knew from the beginning that I really wanted to include your knowledge because I think you bring such incredible perspective to thinking about um, inclusion and and thinking about how we create communities that that are supportive for for folks with all sorts of different identities. But also, and what I really love about your work is that it has always been really rooted in compassion and care. And I think that um, is is so beautiful and aligns so well with this podcast. So welcome. Thank you for being here. And I am wondering if you could get us started by telling us a little bit about you. That's awesome. And it's so cool when there are those relationships where time passes and you remember different things. The first time we met was 
when you were in the TA role and you were giving a little introduction as I will about myself. And you had also mentioned you were a yoga teacher and the class was just like yoga teacher. Like, Oh my goodness. How, like, what is that? How do you do that? And you're like, okay, okay, let's focus on human rights. Like, <laughs> um, and I just remember thinking that was so cool. And it showed me that we can do many different things all at once. And so I am so grateful to be here and to speak with your audience. And I'm really grateful that you reached out too. So for anyone who hasn't met me, my name is Clary Chambers. I use the pronouns she and her, and I'm a proud black queer woman who lives with an invisible illness and invisible disability. I have fibromyalgia. I'm also anemic and I live with dyslexia as a learning disability, as well as potential ADHD. <laughs> and in all of that process of being me, I am motivated and committed to a larger goal of moving past illness at work. And what I do with my business, Spark Clarity, is I bring joy to education to make the invisible visible. And that happens through a variety of ways, through consulting and coaching. And I would also say through humor, really. It's about how do we talk about hard subjects that affect so many people. They affect the people we love. They may even affect you if you're listening. And how do we do that in a way where we don't feel so devastated after we come together and speak about these topics? How do we leave as a creative optimist? And so at Spark Clarity, we, our big idea is creative optimism and how we can use that as a source and tool of innovation. And when I'm not doing all of these things, I am gardening. I am living right now in the traditional territory of the Sauk Nation in Vancouver Island in Souk, BC. It's a very small town of 13,000 people. And that's like not even everyone who lives here. That's like everyone in the greater area. But I originally grew up in the GTA in Ontario. So this is new for me to be in a completely different climate uh, with my partner, with my fiance, Percy. And it's just, so different, Megan, like the, I'm looking out to just like a forest of trees. We met when I lived in Ottawa and I was in Ottawa for eight years. So it's interesting to move your life around so much, especially during a time like as we're filming during COVID-19 pandemic, right? Like it's just a crazy, like a, I shouldn't say crazy, a, di a completely difficult time to I think be anywhere new and I also think to be anywhere old <laughs> too but it's been hard to move somewhere I'm so community focused and I know we're going to talk about community on the podcast here today but how do you create and hold space for community how do you how do you find your community when you're at home right like how does that work and it's an interesting, like throughout the pandemic, just having conversations with different people who had made a move either right before or during the pandemic and right. have found themselves in in these new locations and and feeling a desire to to find community. But like you say, like there's all of these limitations right now in, in depending on where we are in the world to how we're able to engage with each other. Um, and I, I love that you kind of spoke about moving in in transitions and and I think right now so many of us are in a time of transition and I 
wonder if you might tell us a little bit more because I loved in your introduction how you framed um, part of your mission as really being about creative optimism. And I would so love if you could tell us a little bit more about creative optimism and, and how this comes into your work when you're working um, either with individuals who are experiencing invisible illness or with communities and workplaces, like what is that role of optimism and creativity? The, the phrase creative optimism really came up when I was doing a branding exercise this summer and I was working with an agency in Ottawa, Godspeed and their sub uh, agency, uh, Misfit, which is all about empowering um, women identifying entrepreneurs. And I was speaking about my story and my story of overcoming challenges, being resilient and really never giving up on myself, which I say that now, but if I, you would have asked younger Clary those things, I, I really feel like I haven't been honest with how creative and how optimistic I've really been in my life. And having those two words put together, creative optimism, or to be a creative optimist, really brought things full circle to me. And so like you asked, what does that mean? And that means that we see our are what, what people see as those differences, what people see as those as being negative, we see those as our strengths. That's yeah. more clarity in everyone that we work with. And obviously when you say it, it sounds cliche because we, when we're asked in interviews, what is your greatest strength? I'm sure we have a harder time coming up with that than what's your greatest weakness. It's like, oh, what's my greatest weakness? I got a whole, I got a whole list for you. Hold on, like, yeah, I got tons of things to say. And when it comes to being somebody who's chronically ill, and this is really where the creativity comes from, you are operating in a world, in a system day to day that was not set up for you to thrive. It was not yes. set up for you to thrive. And so because of that, you have to be creative. You have to be creative in every single step. And it's that creativity that I feel we're just losing. It's like when you're heating your house and the windows are open. So it's just like, you're losing all of that heat. You're losing all that energy because instead of allowing folks to put that creativity and use it as a source of innovation and, and combine together, both being creative and optimistic, they're using that energy just to simply survive in the space because it wasn't made to fit for them. And where optimism comes in that, Megan, is something that I've just always known for myself to be true. Every single challenge I faced, I've I always felt even before I had the words to be able to say, I'm a creative optimist. I just knew there would always be something better. And what we focus on, I feel like we find, you know, you, uh, you find what you look for. And so I've always looked at what is the opportunity in this scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I am. Um, it's really interesting. Um, because I remember, and I don't know if your logo still looks like this, but I remember for a time there was like these rays of colorful light that were kind mm. of uh, part of your logo shining outward. And I feel like that, I think of that when I think of you, because I think of, of someone who you, you said, you know, I've always been an optimistic person and you talked about humor and you talked about um, these elements of your personality. And I and how we kind of take the tough stuff and 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 have conversations that that can hold space for for the toughness and the stickiness but also for joy and for humor and i think that is um what is so 
captivating about you and your work and and I'm so grateful that you are are doing this work in the world and so I want us to maybe chat a little bit about this idea of community and this idea of I know um the, the part of your work right now is really focused on community-centered businesses and as well as what it means to be creating inclusive communities. Um, and I would love for you to share a little bit about what this looks like and, and what we might hold close if we are in positions right now, um, either in leadership positions or starting new projects or or even just in, you know, if, if it's the PTA or, or like a, a certain, um, you know, healthy workplace committee at work, like what can we be holding in mind in these, these efforts to be bringing people together, which I think I've been hearing so much about bringing people together in community right now during the pandemic because as we talked about, there's kind of in some ways like a vacuum that some of us are feeling of isolation. So as we're looking to generate community, what might we want to be considering? The one thing that I love about that question, Megan, is that you highlighted that there were different types of groups, like you said, like if we're just, if it's just the PTA. And one thing that I talk about when I do my keynote addresses is that we all have the autonomy to be able to create the change that we want to see. Yes. Whether it's just our bedroom space, our beautiful home space, or, you know, our outdoor space, wherever it is, our patio, our porch, like there is room for us to be able to make those changes. Right. And it's really like a three-step process in terms of like, those are the three things they can do. And I, I'd love to share those now. Please. Okay, great. So the first one is all about reducing shame because often when we are thinking about creating community, and I think when we are thinking about community in a 2020 and 2021 and beyond world, it's probably looking different than the things that we probably just didn't experience before. So as I mentioned, I have the intersections of being a black woman, a black queer woman, a black queer woman who has an invisible illness, an invisible disability, right? So there are a lot of intersections in the way that I understand the world and my lived experiences. But for a lot of other folks who are running their communities, they may not have all of those lived experiences. And so when we're looking at what can we do differently or what can we do better, we're often going to realize there are times where we let people down yeah. and there is harm that we will still create in moving forward by not knowing everyone's experiences. Right. Yeah. And we just have to reduce that shame. And I think a really great resource if you're like, okay, yes, I know. Where do I go? Brene Brown is huge on talking about like shame and vulnerability and how those things keep us stuck. And the biggest thing I see where folks are not making that connection to knowing what they've done wrong or where they were lacking to actually making that change is shame. They feel so in so much shame that they don't do anything. And we don't need people who are not going to do anything. We need folks who are going to acknowledge that they didn't know and that they're going to move forward and they're going to try their best. So the first thing is to reduce shame. And the second thing piggybacks right on that. And it's acknowledge our knowledge gaps. And these are realizing that we won't know everything. How could we know everything and how everyone will need to thrive? So we have to look around in our space and say, who's here right now and who is missing? So if you are running a virtual online community where there's profile pictures that folks are 
putting up or they're asking in or you're asking intake demographic information like uh, where are they from you know their uh, ethnicity and things like that you're going to see very clearly okay so we only have say white women here and if we are a community that's saying we are for all women identifying folks and we only have straight white women then obviously there's something going on so you can already start to speak to the people that are in your group to know what you can do better to support them and then you have to look outside of that and see like whose experiences are missing and how can we uh, come to know that knowledge is do we have to hire someone to help us with our community are there folks that are in our immediate circle that we can speak to and the last one is they all fall together is start where you are so it's asking those people who are already in your space what can we do to make this the best experience for you because yeah. in the work that i do with a specific focus on uh, invisible illnesses and invisible disabilities the fact that they are invisible means that we cannot see them. And so there are stats that exist that speak to how many folks have invisible illnesses and invisible disabilities. And it might be helpful next if I maybe explain kind of what that means. I'd love that. Okay, great. And so there are millions of people worldwide that are experiencing chronic diseases or chronic illnesses. And the different things that are coming out about COVID-19 are showing that some people are even having lasting effects from contracting yes. COVID, right? And so they're falling into those categories too at exponential rates. And so just because someone hasn't said anything doesn't mean that it can't be better. And it doesn't mean that the group or the community is harming them in real time. So we have yes. to start where we are by acknowledging who we have already in our circle and just put out a poll. Like, what can we do to better support you? And the answers that you may get are usually going to be things that cost you no money to change at all. And so those are the, those are the three things. Number one, to reduce shame. Number two, to acknowledge your knowledge gaps. And number three, to start where you are. I, I think those are such tangible steps for, for folks to be thinking about and taking. And I so appreciate you sharing that. And I really would love to start to move our conversation towards your experience and knowledge and wisdom when it comes to invisible illness. And I'd love for you to start by, by telling us more about invisible illnesses, especially for folks who are unfamiliar with that term. Definitely. I did an amazing talk at Creative Mornings in Ottawa um, at the art gallery. And in that I talked about, you know, what even is a chronic illness? Because everyone's like, okay, cool. So there's this thing, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and so invisible illnesses or invisible disabilities are, are things that you cannot see just by looking at the person. And I mean, in many ways, we can really identify that with COVID-19. Many of the symptoms that people have, I can't see just by looking at a person, right? So yeah. in my case, I have chronic pain. When you look at me, and Megan and I are recording over Zoom right now, when you look at me, Megan, you cannot see that there is anything different than yes. what you may think about in terms of like an abled-bodied person. And an yes. abled-bodied person is someone who, it's what our whole society is based on. It's that rhetoric that we can all access the same things. So when somebody builds stairs and doesn't think to put any other way in which to access the building, that ableistic design is saying everyone can use this design element. Right. Yes. Which you, we can see, I'm going off a little bit here, but we can see how that doesn't apply to like baby high chairs. You and I cannot sit in a high chair and not expect it to break or to hurt ourselves. That design is for a specific group. So these are like when we're thinking about how in which we design. Right. But back to the chronic illness, these are things that we don't see. And also chronic 
means, so chronic invisible illness would be an invisible illness that we don't see that's chronic. Chronic usually is defined as any sort of condition that lasts longer than three months. So if you have reoccurring headaches, and I'm not a doctor, these are just the definitions that you can Google. If you have headaches that last longer than three months consistently, you could say that you have chronic headaches or chronic migraines. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So an example of different chronic illnesses can include, and I've done this as an exercise and I encourage folks that are, as long as you're not driving, you could do this exercise. <laughs> um, so to think in your mind for yourself, um, for you or for someone you know, and then you can do kind of like a virtual raise your hand or signal in some way that if, if this includes you. So folks with invisible illnesses or invisible disabilities include folks with endometriosis, lupus, folks that are recovering from cancer or, or who are going through cancer right now, if somebody's anemic, if they are have different mental health conditions, whether that be anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, it would also include folks with diabetes. It would include folks who have allergies and folks like myself with fibromyalgia or if they're anemic, if they have MS, if they have Parkinson's, these are all folks that are having invisible conditions that we can't see. So you can now think to yourself and Megan, I'd love to know, do you too know so either yourself or know somebody? Well, I mean, you're talking with me, but outside of I, me, yeah. I know a lot of people. And this is what I was going to say next is actually like, it is a little bit, it's kind of interesting because in my role as a yoga teacher, um, and then when I work with folks one-on-one -on -one as well, I, I get a lot more information about people than maybe if, if I was, if I wasn't in that role, you know, because people are, are oftentimes more inclined to share a little bit about their medical history with me right. um, so that I can support them. And, and so I know that it's different in that way compared to, you know, when I used to work an office job. Um, but it is what I've really noticed in the last few years, especially just in, in teaching classes and, and, and workshops out in the public is, is how many people do have invisible illnesses. And, and, and many of the ones that you, you mentioned whether it's um, endometriosis, diabetes, cancer, fibromyalgia, like there's and and just the the number of people that are are in our communities that are having experiences of chronic invisible illness. Um, I think we're not always tuned into that. Definitely, there's even stats. So I find a lot of great statistics for chronic illness, both. Uh, from the UK and from the United States, less so in Canada. I find a hard time trying to find like actual stats and data on that. So I'm just not sure for the reason for that, but from the United States National Health Council in 2009, they predicted how many folks that they anticipated would have an invisible illness or a chronic disease. And these numbers don't include all of the folks who have been adversely affected with their nervous system and then will uh, be more at risk to develop a chronic disease from COVID-19 pandemic stress, even if they were not to contract the virus and the folks that will or have. So their stats read that they predict that by 2020, so this year, that the number is projected to grow to an estimated 157 million folks, this is just in the US, with 81 yeah. million having multiple conditions. And at the time when they wrote this, this was in 2009, and the amount of Americans living with a chronic disease, so a disease that lasts longer than three months, as we talked about, was 40 million Americans. 
That's a lot of people with fibromyalgia in the U S alone, one in 10 folks have fibromyalgia. So it's statistically probable that, you know, if you're in groups of a hundred people, if I'm doing the math correctly, that there would be 10 people there that could have fibromyalgia. So when you're looking in a room, when you're at a coffee shop, and that's only one chronic disease, one chronic disability, depending on how it's outlined. And it's interesting that when we have that proximity, so not only are you a yoga teacher, but I've known you personally for many years, you are a kind hearted person and you are somebody that can be trusted with being able to open up. So we see that when we do not create communities, when we do not create workspaces, home spaces, family spaces that allow people to feel seen, heard, and believed that they will not share what they need in order to thrive. That you have, you're the same person. You worked in an office space and you, like, I know you, you're an authentic person. You are the same no matter where you go. But how come now as a yoga teacher, people are feeling that they can open up to you and connect with you and tell tell you about their health compared to when you worked in the office. So you can Mm -hmm. see that the culture and the expectation, of course, for their medical history, but I'm sure you have people giving you more information than you ask for too in your role. Well, it's interesting. And and it's not to say, because I definitely did have a lot of conversations. Um, So in my, my, my more office job, I, I worked in, in student affairs and worked with a lot of students. Okay. Um, and okay. so there was, there was a lot of conversations that did happen, but those conversations would happen sometimes earlier on. And, and maybe the, a little bit of that is my personality, but then also would happen once there was like a level of trust and a level in, in me kind of intentionally creating space um, if someone wanted to disclose something that would would enable me to better support them. And I wondered if, because I think sometimes, and we talked a little bit about how we might create communities that are inclusive and supportive, but I wondered if you could also speak a little bit to you know, if we find ourselves, so, um, so if, if someone who's listening is experiencing chronic invisible illness or invisible illness and is not getting, is not finding that their communities are, are inclusive, particularly like workplaces as well, like how can we go about advocating for ourselves? Um, because I think, when it comes to work, I think there is still a lot of shame and stigma around asking for what we need. And there's a lot of fear around what potential repercussions will be. Yeah. And I'm taking notes as you write, because that helps me with my learning disability as well. And as soon as you had said that people, what do what do people do when they feel their community, whether that be at work or at home, but especially at work is not inclusive to them. My heart just like drops and when you're thinking from a business perspective, we talk a lot about our why, right? Yeah. Like why do we do what we do? But also tap into your why to connect to your customers. Your why is your marketing. Like, you know, it, it also is the motivation, but it's kind of our sounding board. And that's my why, because I don't want people to feel that when they find their dream job at work, that they have to quit because they cannot ask for accommodations or because they are not being accommodated to what they need. Yeah. This whole conversation really comes full circle to Carleton University, which is interesting because when I graduated from university, 
I was fine. I was that person. What do I, what do you do when you find that your workplace is not inclusive to you? Yeah. That was me. And so I graduated university in 2016. I studied human rights. That's how Megan and I crossed over. And I had a double minor in communications and legal studies. So I feel that with that education, I feel pretty equipped. You know, I know how things work and I couldn't find a single job that worked for my body. Yeah. And I worked 18 jobs in about two years trying to pick, and I was just doing a lot of, a lot of onboarding, a lot of training and a lot of quitting because they were not working for me. And so I'll tell you what not to do (laughs) first, (laughs) and then I'll tell you what you can do now. What not to do is to think that you are the problem because you are not the problem. Are we the problem because as adults, we can't fit in kids' high chairs? No, there's other chairs for us. Like we are not the problem here. Like it's just not for us. And so what can we do if there was only high chairs in a restaurant straight up, like you have to climb in, you'd be like, um, (laughs) pre-COVID, right? Um, is this, is like, is this, is this like a baby place or is this like, you know, they're like, no, it's for everyone. Just adult stand or whatever. You would be like, no, no, no. No, no, no. You like that wouldn't fly. That wouldn't work. You would say something. So we have to think about what we need and to not tell ourselves that we are the problem. We have all said mean things to ourselves. If there is somebody in the world that has never said a mean thing to themselves, they need to write a book. Like I will pay them all the money. Teach me your ways. Okay. I say mean stuff to myself all the time. I don't, I don't suggest you do that, but the amount of work, Megan, we know. When you say something mean to yourself, how long does it take you to get over that? To be, to yeah. tell yourself that, you know, like all those mean things you say, it takes time to recover. So we do not, we do not need any extra stress. If you are struggling at work because of your chronic illness and it's not being inclusive, you do not need to then tell yourself that you're a shitty person. The systems are shitty because, and the people honestly in that space who are continuing to uphold those standards, that shitty behavior and that needs to stop. So not think, not taking it all on yourself. You need to reduce the shame. That's the, that's the first thing. And what you could do instead is write down a list, whether you are working in your dream job right now, or you are looking for one or work is not, you don't work in that way. Write down the list of things that you need in order to thrive in a space. When I, this is where it comes back to Carlton. I graduated. I couldn't find a job. At Carleton, I was considered a student with disabilities through the Paul Menton Center for Students with Disabilities. I called them. I said, listen, um, I am really struggling. You know, a nicer, like, hi, can you help me kind of voice? But I was like, I'm really struggling. Okay, like, let's just get to it. I'm struggling. I cannot find a job that works for my body. When I was at Carleton, I was considered a student with disabilities. Now I'm out into the world and I'm wondering, do y'all got some services to help connect me to the workplace? Because what the heck? Like I have all these accommodations in school and now you're just like, fly, birdie, go. (laughs) Sit in that kid's high chair, you'll survive, you know? So they said, we're not sure. (laughs) Sounds like we should have something like that. And they did connect me to someone at the time who was running their own pilot program from being someone themselves who had cancer as a child and had a prosthetic leg. So they had to be able to go to appointments. And that's usually like one of the biggest things in the workplace is being able to do the things you need to do in order to show up as your best self at work. You work with folks every day, Megan, that are investing in their health. They're investing in their mind and their, and their mental health because that is a core value to them. That's what they need to do in order to do everything else. And so what you need to do as your first step, and I'll leave it at this one because there's so many things to do, but just to keep it simple, 
write down every single thing you would need in your workplace in order to thrive. Whether that's, and think of it similar to if you have a car and you need to drive to work, well, you need somewhere to park the car. If you have children, you need to be able to leave and go get them. They, like, you know, like child service is not just going to be like, oh, sorry, I was working. Like I just left my kid out there. Like you need that flexibility to do that. So write down everything you need because having, let's say, let's talk about disability as a, mi a minority group is the only uh, intersection of, my, of a, being a minority that you may find yourself in at any point in your life because of your health, because of an accident and because of age. So we need to yeah. think about these things. You could be fine right now, but what if something changes in your life? I mean, COVID-19, hello, like what happens if anything changes? So we need to think about these things so that even if we don't need them now, that we have them if anything was to change. Does that make sense? Like start off with the list, write it down what you need. It absolutely does. Um, I'm wondering, I, I know we're going to wrap up in, in a few moments, but um, when it comes to, I think, I think it's one thing to know what our needs are and it's it can be really hard to advocate for them. And so is your suggestion do you have do you have any like like one or or, or two quick tips for for how to go about bringing that to life and and is it a matter of of trying to find new communities and new workplaces yeah. or is it a matter of of trying to work with what we have? I think that's really great. There was an amazing post uh, by Jada Pickett-Smith on that on Instagram, and that they're an actor um, and a really rad black woman. And they had written a quote um, to the tune of, I'm paraphrasing, when you ask people for what you need, you get two results. One, you'll get what you ask for, or two, you'll realize that they cannot give you what you need. Both yeah. are gifts. And so when you say, what should I do? I would say first is to acknowledge in yourself be, and realize that you're not the problem and to think about what are the things that you need in order to thrive. The second thing would be to look at the rights that you have as an employee. Depending on the country that you're living in, let's talk about Canada, there are protections that allow you to be accommodated in the workplace as long as it's not uh, giving undue hardship to that business. And it is yes. a pretty stringent requirement for the businesses to be able to explain that they were put out by accommodating you, right? I would suggest that before you do anything, don't quit the dream job or don't quit something that you love. Ask for accommodations instead. Document all your processes, seek legal advice if you need to. But most of the times it's just a matter of having that conversation and explaining what you need. And just yeah. because you didn't need it before doesn't mean that you are not worthy of that now. Because when you joined the job or when you started, maybe you didn't have whatever was going on. And when you say like, should you just leave or do you find new community? I would say eventually, yes. So you have to know what's right for you in your heart. We all know when we're going to talk to our friend and they stepped over a line and we need to say, hey, you, you stepped over a boundary. But we're great friends, so I want to talk through with it compared to the person that you're like, you know what, we're not, I don't really care too much for this relationship, I'm gonna leave. We need to remember that we are the most important person in the story of our lives. And so we have to think about what is it that's gonna help me thrive and, and do the things that I love to do. Yeah, thank you so much. Those are, I think, a lot of um, like really beautiful insights and action steps for um, for folks who may find themselves now or in the future in a position where where their needs are not being met by their community and 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 their 
is a need to to kind of move through that and and I think this piece that you speak of of the biggest reminder of like you are not the problem I think is is something that we can all really hold close in our hearts and and also work to if if we are in positions of of power in in whether it's businesses or, or other types of community organizations that that when others are coming forward to to ask for more inclusion, um, we can we can hold that as well. That they are not the problem, and that it's these systems, and and that there's so much opportunity to come back to this idea of creative optimism. There's so much opportunity um, to to do things differently, really. Um, and I think that is um, is such a beautiful reminder. As we come towards the close of this episode, I would just so love to hear if there's anything on your heart and your horizon um, and, and how others might might stay in touch with you. Yeah, that's such a great invitation. So you can find everything that I'm doing online at Spark Clarity. So it's S-P-A-R-K and then Clarity, C-L-A-R-I-T-Y. And right now I'm really focusing in on how can I support folks moving past illness at work. And so that comes in the form of consulting. And in the new year, in 2021, I'll be launching a diversity and inclusion foundation program for business owners who are feeling that they need to do something, but they honestly don't know where to start and they feel kind of embarrassed about that which is okay, we all have to start somewhere. And so it's gonna be a group coaching where we're gonna work together for seven weeks and work through these aspects that I talked about, reducing shame, acknowledging our knowledge gaps and starting where we are. And then the next three weeks will be about how can we overhaul our digital, physical and cultural spaces to make them truly accessible and inclusive. Because as I listed out earlier in in the podcast, there are millions of people just in the US, in Canada, globally, that are experiencing chronic disease. And that number is going to increase, especially when it comes to mental health and the long-term effects of our bodies being in stress during this pandemic period, right? And we need to make sure that us as business owners and us as thought leaders, creatives, and just leaders in general are leading the way on that inclusion and not waiting for it to be mandated, not waiting for everyone to say, you know, all these people messed up because they didn't do this. We got to do best by our communities. And that's, what's going to set us apart too. That's why people are going to want to work with you because they know that you are doing everything in your power to create the most barrier free experience for them. We're all stressed. We're all really tired and that's just going to keep going. We don't want anything to get in that way. So I hope that if you're interested in that, you join the wait list. And then also I've just started to launch a workshop series. So there are weekly, uh, I shouldn't say weekly, monthly, <laughs> that's a lot of workshops, monthly workshop themes um, that you can find at sparkclarity.ca all about inclusion, diversity, and access, and as well as how to thrive when you do have a chronic illness yourself. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. And, um, really powerful offerings for for this moment of time that we're in. So thank you for your work and and thank you because I think and as you spoke at the beginning about, you know, like sometimes we just don't know that we could be doing things differently and and we 
need to to broaden our knowledge and our our awareness and um so that we can move from ignorance to a more intentional form of inclusion and um so thank you for all the work that you're doing and thank you especially for this incredible reminder that that no matter what we are experiencing like it is not our fault that we are whole that we are valuable beings and we deserve to be treated as such absolutely Um, i am so grateful for us being able to share this conversation today and i'm here cheering you on Woohoo! that's what we like to hear. <laughs> it's a party smart clarity is all about like the brand as you said like with those kind of like uh energy sparks coming from literally the logo itself is is all about just like feeling uplifted there's so much negativity you can find it anywhere else you want at smart clarity you're gonna find a lot of positivity so if that feels perfect for you then we'd love to see you there too thanks clary you're so welcome What a phenomenal conversation with Clary. I'm so glad we got to share this with one another. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find me on Instagram at Megan L. Johnston. Or you can also find my contact information on my website, MeganJohnston.com. New episodes of the podcast with Heart and Wonder are released every Tuesday. And if you want to be sure that you get the next episode as soon as it goes live, you can always subscribe at Apple Podcasts. I so look forward to the next time we meet. Until then, keep living with Heart and Wonder. Mm